talking to the voices that matter to get to the issues at the heart of things. You're listening to Politics Unboxed, The Interview. Dear listener, we have a very special guest on. It's, it's not often that we get guests in for interviews, but um, I was sort of looking through my emails on, a, I think it was a, a Thursday or a Friday evening, and I, I saw this this sort of thing pop in from uh, an institution, an institution that I'd, I'd never really seen before, never really heard of before, um, the, the Learning and Work Institute. And it said, action is needed to boost lifelong learning in the Southwest as a survey shows stark and persistent inequalities. And I thought, well, I'm sort of to do with, with learning. We're at, a, we're at a university radio station here, after all. And then, what do you know? We're in, we're in the Southwest. And I thought, well, let's, let's see if we can get somebody on to, to talk about this survey and, and what it means. And what do you know? Here with us today, we have uh, the chief executive of the Learning and Work Institute, Stephen Evans. Uh, so, Stephen, first off, thank you very much for joining us here on Expression FM for the, the Politics Unboxed show. Um, I, I wanted to to give you a chance to sort of give a bit of a, a, a pricey to this this article because uh, I don't know whether many of our our listeners are going to be familiar with the the work that the Learning and Work Institute does, and and specifically with this article, which um, only came out from under embargo uh, at seven a.m. on Monday. So, or rather, not seven a.m. on at one minute past midnight on the seventh of November, which was Monday. Um, so, I wonder, could you sort of give us a bit of background as to what the Learning and Work Institute is, and and what's so important uh, about this survey that you've just had? Yeah, thanks. An afternoon, and, and thanks for inviting me on. Um, the Learning and Work Institute's been around for a hundred years in total, so been around for quite a while. And we do lots of um, research and policy development and, and, and analysis relating to lifelong learning and skills and employment across the UK. So this uh, survey that we launched this week um, is all about lifelong learning. Uh, we've been asking adults for 26 years now um, whether they take part in learning and if so why and if not why not um, and it's a deliberately broad definition of learning so it includes things being like like being at uh, university or college but it's also informal learning so you know learning how to use zoom during lockdowns and things like that or Joe Wicks PE classes or whatever it happens to be. So it's a really broad definition of learning. Now, the reason we're looking at this is because learning is so important uh, for, for life. Now, I probably am preaching slightly to the converted there, I suspect. But, uh, um, slightly with the university. But uh, exactly. I think some of our listeners definitely not, not so at the university. So uh, please, please do carry on. And I think this is, this is both, uh, learning is really important for getting a job and building your career but actually learning is really good for your health and well-being we've got an, an aging population increased health problems it's really good for being part of your community for making new friends for a whole bunch of other stuff um, and it's only going to become more important as the the economy continues to change and we have longer working lives we need to retrain update our skills more often so it's a really critical topic um, 
and yet um, oftentimes um, not as focused on as it as it might be. So that's why um, we do this survey. We can talk a bit about the findings. And actually, we're talking this week during Lifelong Learning Week, which is something we run every November to encourage people to learn throughout their lives and not just at school. I think that um, that's actually struck upon a point, because with this being Lifelong Learning Week, you saying it just there is actually the first I'd, I'd heard uh, of this, which I guess... Um, doesn't go very well for how it's being publicised at, at university level. Uh, but has there been sort of a, a wide range of, of take up with different events through sort of a lifelong learning week, or, or is this very much sort of still getting off the ground? Um, forgive me for, for not quite knowing as much about lifelong learning week as as, as certainly you do. Uh, but how how sort of big is this as a as an event then? Well, we will definitely send you and the university much more information for next year, so I can, I can promise wow. that. Um, and, no worries, we'll, and, we'll um, gladly receive it. And this is the this is the third year we've we've uh, run a, a lifelong um, learning week. We've previously had different different forms of activity. So there's lots of things going on at different colleges and a number of uh, universities across the the country, but also in libraries and in museums and in shopping centres and in community halls and lot, trying to um, get learning beyond the classroom, I suppose, and, and go to people where they are in workplaces, through trades unions, lots of things like that. Um, today, for example, we've got a particular focus on the role of the arts in um, learning and creativity. And that's both because um, your chances to get into the creative arts shouldn't be limited by your background. Uh, they should be limited by what you want to do and your, your talents and efforts. And yet there's a massive class divide at the moment. But also because creativity, again, is really good for us and helps with our health and well-being and just our sense of who we are as people. So we've got a really big focus on that. And then tomorrow we've got an employer takeover day um, in partnership with business in the community. So there'll be loads of employers showcasing how, how they're helping people to, to learn at work. So that's not just training to do the job. It's also about, um, you know, to, to learning more generally and learning that's non-job related. You mentioned in in one of those those comments there about the the the, the social background of some of these and the sort of diverse opportunities that are available and one of the key findings of this uh, recent survey uh, shows that adults in the lower socioeconomic groups so uh, for, for those of the, our listeners familiar with the notation that would be sort of uh, de and and sometimes people bracket c two de and into that um, have well, are, are twice as likely to have not participated in any learning since leaving full-time education than those in the AB social group, so at the opposite end of the scale. And this has been labelled a, a class penalty in, in this particular report. Um, is, it, is it just their socioeconomic status that is, is causing this, or, or are there sort of factors as to are, are DE people in the southeast more likely to be able to involve themselves in learning than they are in in the northwest for example yeah so so the, the good news is across the country about 40 percent about two in five um adults say they've been taking part in 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 learning over the last couple of years uh, but the bad news as you say is there's really huge inequalities so that's by socioeconomic group but also uh, by ethnicity, also uh, by whether you're in work or out of work, by age, young people far more likely to take part um, 
in learning. So it's all these different divides. Actually, a lot of them interact in, in lots of different ways. So, for example, if, um, if you have a degree level qualification, you're three times more likely to get training at work from your employer than if you've got no qualifications. And then that links through into those socioeconomic divides that uh, you were mentioning uh, there as well. We've also seen, um, so through the pandemic, we saw a real spike in interest in um, online learning in particular. And again, you've got inequalities in access to internet and broadband and IT equipment by, by socioeconomic group as well. So there's lots of interlayered uh, levels to this, but those really stark inequalities really matter and they play through into inequalities throughout life as well. One of the, the key points of emphasis from, from this report is that the government's levelling up agenda is is failing in, in regards to this uh, this sort of lifelong learning uh, pathways, uh, especially in, in relation to perhaps underrepresented areas uh, of England, especially the South West is, is, is name-checked in this report. Um, I wonder, what, what specifically would you be looking to see from the government to, to make sure that levelling up is seen all across this sector rather than just in, in areas that may well have, as you say, higher proportions of, of AB or this, this greater uh, prevalence of perhaps industries that are able to provide these, these lifelong learning pathways? Yeah, so the inequalities by place uh, definitely um, are related to those inequalities by, by group. So, uh, for example, London has the highest rate of lifelong learning. That's partly related to a younger population and young people more likely to take part in learning, but also loads more graduates. And as I say, uh, graduate level qualifications, you're much more likely to take part in learning through life. So some of this is about um, and tackling those inequalities in the southwest is about tackling inequalities by group but it's also about how how these things play out in different areas so in parts of the southwest for example you know transport infrastructure might be a bit of a challenge and therefore online learning might be more important so can we invest more in that but also we know that internet access can be patchy as well in some of those rural areas so so some of this is about transport and uh, broadband access but it's also about investment so across um, England the government will be investing a billion pounds less in adult learning in 2025 than it was in 2010, a billion pounds less. And at the time, I and others were saying it wasn't enough back in 2010. So we've gone backwards from a, from a low base. Um, and then in places like the Southwest, for example, there's, there's often been lots of European social fund projects towards lifelong learning. Um, and those uh, ESF is European social funds are now coming to an end now that the UK has left the European Union. And the replacement isn't in place yet. So you've got particular gaps in the southwest uh, as well as elsewhere, I think, because of the ending of that European funding. So obviously th there are these uh, structural uh, and socioeconomic causes behind this uh, somewhat uh, tail off and, and inequality in the level of, of lifelong learning. Um, is there also just an argument to say that sometimes you know people people don't want to spend their their entire life in education they don't want to spend uh as long as they they can behind a screen learning how to sort of uh, do all, all of this this zoom function and they they'd much rather just be out doing doing the things they love w without the training so is that sort of uh, emphasis any anywhere represented in in your in your findings and are there groups of people out there who just think well you know what I've I've done my education. I'm I'm happy just 
living my life? And if so, how how is that being uh, represented in in your data? Yeah, no, you're absolutely spot on. Um, one of the biggest reasons adults give for not taking part in learning is that they they don't want to or can't can't see why they should or what the benefits would be. Uh, and I'm not saying that ev- every single person should uh, go and enrol on a, on a class tomorrow or uh, or get involved in learning. But what I would say is, um, I think our survey shows the, the way I phrase it is learning's really addictive, but also really easy to avoid as an adult. So if you're if you've recently took part in learning as an adult, you're really likely to say, do you know what? I love that. It's I love the subject. I've also made new friends. I want to do more and to go on and do more. But if you haven't got into it, maybe if you didn't have the world's best time at school or at college, um, the opportunities often aren't there or nobody comes and asks you. It relies on you to say, I really want to go and do it. And oftentimes people don't. So I think that means we need to offer much more opportunities to fit learning around work and home life because everyone's really busy. Um, as you said, they've got other stuff to do. Um, but also think about what what interests people. So, for example, there's been um, uh, one of the things that the UK is really short of is numeracy skills. And this is not like advanced calculus. This is basic basic numeracy skills but people don't come and queue up if you advertise a numeracy class it would only be slightly weird people like me probably that would turn up um but there are lots of classes about you know cooking on a budget or which is particularly in the cost of living crisis at the moment so i think it's about getting understanding what motivates adults what they're interested in and then helping them to fit all of this around work and home life and then you won't see everyone do it but you will see more than we've got today your sort of the adult participation in in learning survey, as you say, running since nineteen ninety six. Uh, whilst it's the largest study of its kind in the UK, it's only conducted with five thousand adults. Now, as much as you try and make that as representative of the UK population as a whole, is there is there a worry from your side that you're you're sort of maybe being channeled into a, a bit of selection bias, as in the people who are turning up to answer this survey either feel they aren't getting involved in education enough or want to show off that they've been involved in in lifelong education uh, and if so how, how are you seeing uh, reasons and and methods to, to really try and, and, and combat that and make sure it really is representative yes yeah, it's, it's a definite risk so we work really hard with the survey company that we do this with uh, to make sure we do have a representative sample and that number of people does give you enough to draw the sorts of conclusions that I've I've drawn out. Now, if we had more people, we could go down to a lower geographical level, for example. So we can talk about the Southwest, but we can't talk about Exeter or or other places within the Southwest. So that's where some of your limits come. Um, But we we do work really hard to make sure it's representative. We did have a change during the pandemic. So the survey used to be um in person and um and 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 telephone i think and then you you obviously couldn't knock on people's doors during during a pandemic um so um so it switched to online and one of the worries there is do you get the people who are you know more likely to have access to the internet obviously and that might bias you towards younger people people in those higher social economic groups so again we we do lots of work to try and make sure that we get to those groups that might not have that and you can sort of um, there are different ways to access the survey and you can go to different locations so uh, there's lots of waiting that goes on it's never going to be perfect no survey is going to be perfect but I think it does give that representative picture at, at the sort of levels that we're talking about. 
I found an interesting uh, sort of pie chart on, on page 20 of, of your survey. I think it's, it's the motivation for taking up learning. And by far and away, the, the largest slice of, of that pie is, is work or career-related reasons. Now, you mentioned earlier on in, in this interview that the jobs market is, is changing all the time. Uh, and I think we're really seeing that transition into a heavily digital-led economy, uh, even more than we had before. Um, but there's also a large chunk that's just for leisure or, or personal interest. Now, you, you can certainly work with industry representatives to help promote the, the work or career-related reasons for, um, for, for taking up main learning, but they might be reasons out of, out of necessity, so they, they need to take up this training to, to continue their job. And you're, you're sort of trying to make learning, well, uh, if, I, if I interpret this right, make learning sort of fun and, and that addictiveness of learning. So how do you grow that sort of the slice of pie saying, well, no, it's actually for leisure. It's something I want to be interested in uh, because probably uh, I think you may agree with me that, that that will end up growing further and further if you can sort of hook people into that particular slice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we need to grow both bits of it, actually. So, um, you know, uh, UK employers invest 28 percent less per person in training than they did in 2005. So employers are not investing enough in work-related training. We need to do far better on that. And actually, that's one of the underpinning reasons why we've had terrible economic growth since 2008, and we haven't got enough money for pay rises or public services. So we do need to definitely grow that element. But, but I think the sort of learning for fun, learning for interest in the subject, learning for health and well-being to make, make friends, this is, this is a real sort of... Um, uh, slightly undervalued sometimes by by governments, but is really, really critical. And if we think about an ageing population, we think about a growing bill for the NHS, um, actually more people taking part in learning, which can improve your health and well-being, will reduce some of those pressures on the NHS. So, for example, there are some GPs and NHS trusts that will refer adults to um, adult learning um, actually, it's called social prescribing. So you're trying to get um, learning as part of the healthcare system as well. You've also got um, so some housing associations, for example, who are trying to help people build their digital skills to get online so they can access public services. So again, I think there's lots of ways to kind of expand that. I think what was really critical for me, we did some focus groups with adults and asked them, what, would, what might persuade you to go into learning? So it build, builds on this survey. And very few of them said, oh, it's the fact I might get a job or a pay rise. Um, most of them said, oh, if, if I could see somebody like me doing it, or if, if it was a chance to make some new friends or some new connections, or if it was in something I really enjoyed. So this gets to the heart of why, why we all do these things. And you know, I don't know why why everyone, all of your listeners who are students have chosen their subjects, but some of it will be about love of the subject, some of it will be about careers, and some of it will be a university experience as well. That's mirrored in the population as a whole. Yeah, I mean, certainly growing growing the entire pie. I think we had a prime minister mentioning that a couple of a couple of weeks ago. Although I think. Forgive me if I, I forgot. I don't know the prime minister anymore. Um, but uh, you've you've mentioned a lot of very very lofty goals and ambitions here. Um, with the best will in the world, I I'm sat here interviewing you for a, a university radio station, which probably means 
that in order to achieve those goals, you're going to need to find collaborative partners. Now, you've already mentioned this sort of social prescribing uh, element from from trying to make uh, it, it an element of sort of social policy as well. Um, are there are there any other groups you see as as key allies in in growing your your movement and campaign? And and if so, how how successful do you think reaching out for for partnerships on that could be given? Um, what what appears to be the the relative size compared to the relative scale of the task ahead of you? Yeah, I think it's it's a fair challenge um, to, to say you know this all sounds very good, but how are we actually going to do it? And lifelong learning is often one of those things that everyone agrees in principle or in abstract is a good idea, but then when it comes to concrete action, it's a little bit more tricky. Um, so we definitely need the government to invest more money. As I say, they're investing a billion less than they were in 2010. And that necessarily means fewer opportunities, but it's more than that. It's about inspiring adults and it's about building in opportunities to learn because as we were discussing earlier, um, adults are far less likely to um, come across some of these opportunities. So social prescribing is one thing we could do a lot more of and please the NHS is investing in that. Another thing we could do is if you're out of work and with the job centre trying to find a job, well, that would be a great chance to get you into some learning opportunities as well, particularly if um, some of that learning might help you to find a job. So there's another opportunity. Um, another opportunity might be if you're struggling with your finances and you're trying to get some debt advice or citizens advice or whatever. I'm not saying that learning solves those problems, but it's another chance to, to talk to people about the opportunities that learning can bring. So I think in general, there's lots of touch points that we have with people, whether it's through the state or through charities or through other public services. And we need to build learning as a, almost like a golden thread that runs through those public services and those touch points. So we, we get the word out there. So learning is both addictive and difficult to avoid rather than addictive and easy to avoid. I think it's certainly a again very lofty goals, and it's good to see there's there's the foundation there for for how things can be be put into place. I'm just conscious that we're heading up towards the top of the hour, which means our, our time speaking on this is is coming to a close. But if listeners have been intrigued by what you have to offer from sort of lifelong learning and all of these these other great opportunities that you you are, are promoting, is there any way they can sort of get in touch with you as a as a group, and and where can they find more information about this? Um, so this you can visit our website which is learningandwork.org.uk and there's also always lots of uh, great online learning opportunities through things like future learn which the open university runs or through your local college as well and through the university uh, of course as well so there's loads of opportunities loads of chance to do something and i think it's a key message for us really is give it a go Stephen Evans, thank you very much for, for coming on the show today. I uh, wish you all the best with, with your campaign. Uh, we're we're going to switch to a, a song break now as we move towards our next segment, which is all about student fundraising for big causes. And I just because I like it, we're going to play a little bit of Elbow. So this, and it's a beautiful intro, I can't talk over it. This is One Day Like This.